Good morning, once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I've asked this question of you before in the past for a different reason, but how many of you have read Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? A lot of hands going up. I know that some people really like that book. There are some that are not so fond of that book. For whatever reasons, that's fine. But in that book, on the inside cover of the book, there are some words that are written there. These are the words. It says, you are not an accident. Even before the universe was created, God had you in mind, and he planned you for his purposes. These purposes will extend far beyond the few years you will spend on earth. You were made to last forever. Self-help books often suggest that you try to discover the meaning and purpose of your life by looking within yourself. But Rick Warren says that's the wrong place to start. You must begin with God, your creator, and his reasons for creating you. You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. In the first chapter of his book, he begins with some very simple words. It's not about you. When we think about the question of of why we're here, what was I created for? What is the meaning of my life? Where does our focus usually lie? We're usually focused on ourselves, aren't we? Well, why is that? I think it's because, well, we really tend to be very self-centered people. I know I can be very self-centered sometimes. I'm not proud of that statement, but it's the truth. I'm sure we can all think of times when our focus was entirely on ourselves for whatever reason that might have been. But I want you to think about something this morning. If you wanted to find out why something exists, why something was created, Who would be the best person to ask? If a new invention was placed in front of you, you had never seen anything like it before, and you wanted to find out what it was and what it did, what it was created for, who should you ask? Well, the best person you could ask if you really wanted to know what something was created for would be the person who created it. And it's really the same with us. If we want to find out why we're here, why we were created, what our purpose in life is, then we need to go to the one who created us, namely God. The Bible tells us that God was here in the beginning, even before we were created, that God is. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created. So where do we go to find out the answers to our questions? We go straight to the source, not straight to the horse's mouth, but straight to the one who created the horse in the first place. Now we're going to look at just one verse this morning. I've done this a couple times in my almost 10 years here. I usually preach out of a whole passage or a few verses, but for today we're going to just focus on one verse. But we will be looking at many other verses that will support what the Lord spoke in this one. I invite you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. 
And I invite you to please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. This morning I'll be reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 834. The Apostle Paul wrote, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. O oh Lord, these were words that, that you, your Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church in Colossae, but also to us today. So as we look at your word, Lord, open it up to us. Holy Spirit, guide us through it. And as always, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now I realize that I'm working on an assumption here. The assumption is that hopefully all of us can agree that we were indeed created. That we didn't just happen upon this earth by some accident millions, even billions of years ago, as some people say. Hopefully we can all agree that we didn't simply evolve from some primordial ooze to the epitome of evolution that many in the world call us today. Can we agree on that before I move on? Because if we can't, this is going to be a really long sermon if I have to go through all of that first. So I'm going to go with the assumption we can all agree that we were indeed created. And the Bible teaches us that we were created by God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but also that we were created for God, for God's glory in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this, but now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. And then skipping down to verses 6 and 7, we find these words. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So the Bible teaches us that we were created by God and we were also created for His glory. That should take the self-centeredness right out of the equation. But it, always, it doesn't always do that, does it? Self-centeredness, is this a, a problem that we face in our culture today? Do you ever struggle with this yourself? How many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? One of my favorite movies. In this movie, the Olympic runner, Eric Liddell, made a decision to not run in a race. In fact, it was his very best race. But he chose to not run in it because that race was to be run on Sunday. And he had set that day apart for the Lord. Now, I'm not going to sit here today and debate with you whether that was the right decision or not for him for his faith and for his conscience, it definitely was the right decision. And he ended up being allowed to run in another race on another day, and he won that race and still got his gold medal. Now, Eric Liddell was a missionary. He had been on the mission field, and he had left the mission field for a while to train so that he could run in the Olympics. 
But it's the comment that he made when he was confronted about his leaving the mission field to run that that still sticks in my mind today. He was confronted by his brother and by others, and he was asked, why are you leaving God's work? Why are you turning your back on God's calling? This is your purpose in life. And Eric Liddell answered them. Do any of you remember what he said? He said, I believe that God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, he said, I feel God's pleasure. I wish you could hear it in his accent. I can't do it, but it sounds even better. He later said that to give up running would be to hold God in contempt. Eric Liddell said that God made him for a purpose, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. Why were we created? What is our purpose in life? We saw in Isaiah 43 that we were created for God's glory. We were created to bring glory to God through our lives. So how do we, or how can we, bring glory to God through the way in which we live our lives? When I'm in my office during the week preparing a sermon or studying to to lead a Bible study, can I do it in a way that brings glory to God? When you're at work, whatever you may be doing in your job, can you do it in ways that bring glory to God? Those of you who are retired, and that's, that's many of you in our church, can you spend your days in whatever it is you're doing in ways that bring glory to God? Students, when you're in school, can you bring glory to God while you're studying? How about when you're in gym class or music or, or band or choir, whatever? If all of us, as the Bible says, are indeed created For God's glory, how does that fit into our everyday lives? How is that played out every day where the rubber meets the road? We read that little verse just a little bit ago that the Apostle Paul wrote in that letter to the church in Colossae. Again, that verse said, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul went on a little bit later in verse 23 to say, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So how can we bring glory to God through our lives? By doing everything we do in the name of Jesus. By saying everything we say in the name of Jesus by realizing that as we are working at our jobs, our true boss, our true supervisor, is the Lord. And we're really working for him. So Paul said, whatever we do in word or deed. So let's look at our words first. This covers everything that we communicate through language. It covers both what we speak and what we write down. So it's not only what we say with our lips, but also whatever we write down for other people to read. And one thing we need to realize is that the problem with our speech is that it reveals what's in our hearts. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 6.45, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. 
And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. In the same parallel teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has Jesus saying, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. But what do we sometimes do? We may say something that's mean or cruel, and then we'll try to excuse it by saying, oh, I didn't really mean that. You ever done that? You ever done that? So what, what do we end up doing there? We add a little lie onto what we've already said that was mean. Of course we meant to say it, because that's what we were feeling in our heart at the time, and that's why we said it. So don't fall into that trap. Just be honest. And instead of trying to excuse or diminish something you've said or something I've said, we just need to acknowledge it, repent from it, and ask for forgiveness from the person that was hurt by our words. We also need to remember that everything the scriptures say about the use of our tongue also applies to what we communicate in writing. How many of you still write letters, handwrite letters? Good, I, I like that. That's, that's really good. Since a note or a letter has to be written by hand or typed and then hand-delivered or mailed, we usually put more thought into what's written and use more caution before we mail it off. Electronic communications, however, through things like email, instant messaging, texting, have multiplied the problems that can come about from our written communication exponentially. First of all, when someone writes something to you, you can't hear the inflection in their voice, can you? You can't see the expression on their face. In fact, written messages that are sent electronically are notorious for the use of contractions and acronyms and code words and symbols, right? Sometimes it's even hard to understand the basic message itself, much less the intent behind it. And there have been relationships that have been, been just ruined directly by the unclear meaning of the messages sent back and forth electronically. So I'm just saying be careful that what you write can be clearly understood by those receiving it. Secondly, modern electronic communications can send out what you write instantly. And that can be a huge advantage in many situations. But it can also be a huge disadvantage when you respond quickly without thinking carefully about what you're going to say. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says that a harsh response only stirs up more anger. A harshly written letter that was written by hand had the advantage of a delay from the time it was written to the time when it was delivered. So it could be thought about and then possibly torn up or rewritten before it was mailed. You can't do that when you're hitting the send button on your computer or your phone, right? As soon as you hit that button, it's gone. That message is already there. Third, electronic communications can broadcast your message to a lot of people in an instant. And again, that is an advantage in many situations. I send out 
a weekly update to those who have email addresses every week, and I'm glad I can just send it out to a group and not have to send it individually to each person. However, it can be a disadvantage if you're not careful about what you write. There are horror stories about people hitting the wrong button and sending an email to the wrong group of people or to a whole group of people when it was only meant for one person. And it gets worse then if that message is then forwarded by someone else. Social networking, all these things have caused all sorts of problems because what is written is available sometimes to a lot more people than the writer ever intended to see it. So I'm only going to say this, don't use your social media page like a diary for your life. If you don't want the world to see it, don't put it out there where the world can see it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about our words as well. In Ephesians 4.29, he wrote these words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. So if it doesn't glorify the Lord or isn't in keeping with his character, then don't say it or don't write it. We need to be positive witnesses for Jesus and build others up through our words, through what we say and what we write. But Paul also said, whatever you do, indeed. This word in the Greek for deed can also be translated as work or action or or behavior. And it refers to anything that we do that can be observed by someone else. And all the same principles that apply to whatever we do in word also apply to whatever we do in deed. And sometimes our behavior can communicate more loudly than the things that we say. You've all probably heard the expression, actions speak louder than words. So some people will have trouble hearing what we're saying because our actions have already spoken too loudly to them. So we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to getting the right paper. We need to pay attention to what we say and do so that our words and our deeds match up and also that they both reflect the Lord's character and his will so they'll bring glory to God. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now we know from the previous two verses that we aren't saved through our works. We aren't saved through anything that we do. But we need to always remember that we were saved by faith through the grace of God to do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And we are to do those works in such a way that as Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, that our light will shine before men, that they will see our good works and praise or glorify our Father in heaven. And by the way, these good works that we do, this isn't just talking about church work or religious work or even necessarily spiritual things. When Paul says whatever you do in word or deed, it includes everything in our lives. It includes our behavior at work, at school, at social events, when we're out recreating the supplies to me when I'm out on the golf course. See, I'm preaching to myself here today. 
It involves how we drive our cars. Again, I'm preaching to myself. It involves how we behave while we're shopping, cooking, eating. It involves doing our chores rather than involves sweeping the floor or dusting the furniture or shoveling snow or mowing the lawn or simply taking out the trash and interacting with your neighbor. All that we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning that we are to be living our lives in ways that are consistent with, once again, his will and his character. What does it mean when Paul says we are to do everything in the name of Jesus? When we do something in someone else's name, we are acting in the authority of that person. Also, when we do something or come to someone in someone else's name, we are then seen as coming in their stead. That the person we are coming to would look at us and see the person we are representing as if that person were standing right there next to us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are now Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And you know what? He is. He is making his appeal through us. So when we say the things we say, and we do the things we do, are we saying them with the thought that Jesus is right here with us as we're saying them? That when, we, that when we speak as Christians, we are representing Jesus to whomever we're speaking to. Are our words and our actions something that Jesus would be pleased with? There's a picture that's painted for us in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Where God is on the throne. And around his throne are 24 other thrones. And on those 24 other thrones are seated 24 elders. And there are four living creatures also around the throne of God. And their entire purpose is to give glory to God. And that passage tells us that whenever these four creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, that those 24 elders fall down before God. They lay down their crowns and they cry out, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What a picture that paints for us. There's a little praise chorus that comes right out of that verse. If you know it, and I think some of you do, I want you to sing it with me. You'll hear it. You'll catch on. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created, hast all things created. Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. 
You know what we were just doing there? We were worshiping, just like those 24 elders in Revelation 4. And what we were doing brings pleasure to the Lord. In fact, everything we do, if we do it as an act of worship, brings pleasure to the Lord. And if we're doing it in the name of Jesus, it should be an act of worship. Now, some people might say, now, hang on, Pastor, wait a minute here. Isn't worship something that we do on Sunday morning in church, right? That's when we gather together and sing those praise songs and come together to worship God, right? What does that have to do with the rest of the week? First of all, let me clear one thing up. It's not just the music on Sunday morning that's considered worship. But some people think that way. They'll say, well, at my church we have the worship first, and they're referring to the music, and then they'll say we have the teaching or the preaching after. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Everything we do, if it's done in the name of Jesus, is an act of worship. So every part of our Sunday morning service is an act of worship. Praying. Scripture reading. Yes, singing. But how about confession? Silence, being still before God. Listening to a sermon, taking notes, giving of our offerings. Baptism, communion, even, even greeting other worshipers. Everything we do here on Sunday is an act of worship, not just the music. Another misconception that people have about worship is that they, they think it is for our benefit. It's not, not necessarily. We worship for God's benefit and for his pleasure. Now some people might say, I, I really loved the worship today and I got a lot out of it. And you know what? That's great. That is wonderful if you get something out of it. But if that is the only reason you're here and worshiping, then you're missing out. When we worship, our goal is to bring glory and honor and pleasure to God, not ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't benefits for us through our worship of God, because they, there definitely are. We experience the presence of God, his Holy Spirit working in our lives. We, we receive his love, his peace, his comfort, his mercy, his grace. We feel conviction for our sin and then experience forgiveness and grace when we confess it and repent. We grow together and are encouraged in our faith as the body of Christ. So yes, there are benefits for us from God through our worship of him. But our motive for worship really should be to bring praise and honor and glory and pleasure to the only one who deserves it. And that is our creator, the Lord, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, if we confine our worship to only what we do on Sunday morning, then we're not truly giving the Lord his due. But if we don't learn how to worship the Lord truly and with our whole hearts through everything that we do here on Sunday mornings while we're here with other believers, how are we going to succeed in worshiping him with our whole lives the rest of the week when we're not necessarily surrounded by other believers? 
Because in the Bible, we see people worshiping God everywhere. At work, at home, in battle, in jail, even lying in bed. We're called to do everything that we do and everything that we say in the name of the Lord Jesus as an act of worship to God, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. So when we think of the things we do and the things that we say, can we honestly give thanks to God for each thing that we've said and each thing that we've done? If we can't, and I confess to you today, there are things that I can't give thanks, and that's why we have confession. That's why we come before him and we receive his mercy and grace through forgiveness, through confessing our sins. But if that happens a lot, then maybe we're not totally understanding this verse and we're not living our Christian lives as fully and victoriously as we could. We read those words from the jacket cover of the book earlier that said this, you are made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will never make sense. So I ask you today, I ask myself today, Does your life, the things that you say and the things that you do, bring glory to God and honor and pleasure to God? As we leave here today and and we, we head into this new week, there will be things that we'll face each and every day that will that will try to to pull us away, to take our attention away from the Lord. That's Satan's work. He doesn't want us to focus on God once we leave these doors. That's his job. But as we leave here today, and as we head through the week, my prayer is, for each one of you and for myself, that each day will bring us closer to the Lord, more fully pleasing to him, so that our lives will be used by Jesus to shine his light through us to those around it who so desperately need to see it and to hear about him. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I confess to you today that there are things every day that I know when I do them, I'm not doing them to your glory. So Lord, I ask forgiveness for those times. And I ask your Holy Spirit to constantly remind me each and every day, Lord, as I rise up, as I go through the day, Lord, that, that my life is to be lived for you and for your glory and to bring you pleasure. Help us all, Lord, each and every day to, to focus on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and then to let your light shine through us so that others may be drawn to faith in you as well. For we are your representatives, and you are making your plea through us. Help us, Lord, to do that in ways that please and honor you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.